Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I am your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you are having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an incredible guest. She's been an entrepreneur since 1998. She has spent the last 20 years helping entrepreneurs increase their business and increase their sales. She is the president and CEO of Select Sales Development, and she's also a sales speaker and a mindset expert. So let us welcome Merrick Khan. How are you doing today, Merrick? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Victor. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to have you on. So I'd like to get started by asking you to please share your story. How did you get, how did you become an entrepreneur? What led to that? Well, I was in radio advertising sales after I graduated from college with a uh, communications degree. And I started looking around. I was I had some early success in, in my role as sales. I started looking around to see what were the career advancement opportunities. And I didn't see very many women who had families or anything else going on besides just the radio business. And mm -hmm. I, it concerned me. And so I... I had always been somebody who dressed for my next job, trained for my next job. And mm -hmm. at the time I was doing some sales management training courses and it started to dawn on me. I'm like, I think I, I think I might like to do that because the, and, and I became a sales manager. And then in that role, I realized that the parts of what I did that I liked best, oh my goodness, sorry. That was my alarm to make sure I didn't miss our interview today. Um, <laughs> but the parts that I liked best about my uh, role had very little to do with the radio business and everything to do with um, developing people and and really inspiring people and teaching people. And so I decided to leave the radio business and and join forces with the sales training company that I was uh, working with as a participant. And then eventually I figured I could probably build a better mousetrap. And so I left and did my own thing. Oh, so that is awesome. So that, that's a great story of how you switch from starting out a radio to going out on your own and you figure you could build a better mousetrap. So how was it, you know, your first couple of years, because everyone knows the entrepreneurial journey is different for everyone. We have our ups and we have our downs. I think a lot of people think that when they become an entrepreneur, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars in my first month. And as we know, that almost never happens. So you mind sharing you know, the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey once you get started? I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I made a million right away. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think like any entrepreneur, you know, there's the building phase when you're really um, discovering how your unique offers solve problems in the marketplace and you're really getting clear about who those offers are most appropriate for. And then you are fine tuning things in terms of how you go to market, what your offers entail, um, you know, your sales and marketing strategies. And so I went through all of those iterations and, and over the years, I think, you know, you, you also, an entrepreneur, to be successful in the long term needs to be committed to the vision of serving their marketplace in whatever ways the marketplace may need um, your expertise. And so one of the things that I, I think um, I've always done well, but I don't always look at it as the strength that it is, is I've, I've been able to modify my offers over time in response to what my clients were really needing. So as an example, in the very beginning of my career, I really focused on the mechanics of selling. I really was helping people learn the nuts and bolts of what to say during a sales call and how to transact in a sales process and how to control that process. And then um, I had an interesting experience. I had two guys who were hired by the same company at the same time. They sold the same products and services in the same territory and uh, at the same price points. And, and they sat next to each other in my training class. 
and they learn the same content from the same trainer, right? So if I'm honest, I, I think I remember them even looking the same. I mean, it was like, there was virtually no difference between these two guys, except one of them did really well with what he was learning. And I felt very proud, right? As a coach and trainer, I was like, yeah, look what I helped him do. And then the other guy just didn't really do much with it. And he didn't really have the explosive growth that um, that Steve had in this example. And it really frustrated me because I recognized in that moment that I couldn't really take credit for Steve's success if I didn't also take responsibility for the fact that Daniel just didn't do anything different with it. And that really opened my eyes to what else was distinct between these two individuals where everything else was the same and how come the mechanics of selling, which was my only offer at the time, wasn't enough. And that's when I really discovered what I think is the dirty little secret of sales training, which is that it has very little to do with what we actually teach you. <laughs> and I'm not proud necessarily to say that I built my business originally around teaching the mechanics of selling and then realized like, mm, there's probably a little bit more to this. But that's when I discovered emotional intelligence and the different aspects of what I consider now a strong sales mindset. Um, and we can, I could talk your ear off about that. So tell me if you have some interesting, unique questions about that one. But, but I think, you know, I, I really did a good job over the 20 plus years I've been in business of listening to what the marketplace needs, because at some point people just became a little savvier around sales skills and the things that I taught in the very beginning are different than the things that I'm teaching now. And people need something a little different. And then, you know, my, my clients had, were feeling, you know, experiencing sales results and then they would hire more salespeople. And then I needed to help them onboard salespeople, interview salespeople, right? So I added new services and offers to support my clients and that stretched me and helped me learn in new um, arenas. And yeah, so it's just been a, it's been an iterational, an iteration, iterative process. <laughs> Uh, that that's very good. So I think one thing you pointed out, even as you learned and got better and became more successful, you still had to keep learning because new things were popping up, things were changing because your clients are doing well. Then they got more people on board, and you needed to train them, and you had to keep learning. So I think it's one thing: learning never stops, no matter what you're doing. So I think that's a very important point. So yeah, the things you do, the things you teach, and you realize, man. Not everyone's going to react the same way. There are other things involved. So I definitely want to ask you more about emotional intelligence and sales mindset, because I think that is so huge because it's not necessarily, and skills are very important, but I think there's a lot more to it. And uh, I'd like you to talk about the emotional intelligence a little bit, why it's so important, the sales mindset. I think mindset is huge. And uh, I, I think the subconscious mind is very important. I think a lot of people don't utilize that. They think the conscious mind makes a decision, but it's really like 95% of your decisions are made by the subconscious mind and it, it's controlling most of the things. And most of us are not aware of that. So we do a lot of things subconsciously and wondering, why do I keep sabotaging myself? Why don't I take action on these things? I want to be successful. I want to be wealthy. And yet I keep doing these things that mess me up. So I'm sure you've come across a lot of people you've mentored over the last 20 years or so. And they keep saying, you know, Merit, I, 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 know, what I'm, I, I know a lot, but for some reason, I'm, I keep messing up things in my business. I have no idea why I can't get to the next level. So you, you might talk about some of those things. And, and again, and again, emotional intelligence and having that smart mindset, you know, definitely love to hear know your, your perspective on that yeah i i think you know it really came to light for me with the two gentlemen that i was talking about earlier with steven and daniel because because everything else was the same they were a great case study for me and mm -hmm. so i had um done an emotional intelligence assessment i've been certified in that um uh, process that that uh, arena since 2008 and <clears throat> And what I recognized was how I explained it is imagine if, I don't know if your audience is listening uh, just with the audio, imagine you put up your, your hand and spread your fingers out. And if the gaps between your fingers represent the gaps in your mindset, imagine if you tried to layer on top of your fingernails, 
the skills that you've learned, there's a likelihood that they're just going to fall through the gaps, right? They're not going to be as easily accessible to you, the things that you've learned in a training class, as an example, or from reading a great book or listening to a podcast or any ways that you learn a new skill. And, and so they just kind of fall through the gaps because you have these, these weaker areas in something that feels more like a soft skill. And so they're just not readily accessible in those moments when um, you're under pressure to come up with a good question, you may not have access to it. So if you close your fingers together so there's no more gaps, now the skills that you've learned that you would layer on top are right there in the forefront of your mind. So for example, um, one of the emotional intelligence attributes combinations that I'm often looking at in a sales or, you know, scenario is the relationship between empathy and assertiveness. So as an example, since it's a shared experience, we won't go, we won't dive too much into the, the, the pandemic issue, but it was a globally shared experience that we can all relate to. And we all had to make changes um, to deal with that effectively. And what I noticed was there are some people who are very high in empathy, which we would consider as a good thing, right? Your ability to put yourself in mm -hmm. someone else's shoes. And, and if you were high in empathy, but you were low in assertiveness, which is, I do have a solution that can solve your problem. And so I'm not doing anybody any favors by not telling you about it. That would be an example of how someone would think if they're high assertive. And, I, and assertive is distinct from aggressive. So we're not talking about pushy mm -hmm. and aggressive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But imagine if you were high in empathy for others, but low in assertiveness. So in a pandemic, you might have a good solution that could really help somebody. But they say to you, well, you know, there's been so much change and, and I, I don't know what to do now. And I'm a little paralyzed and, you know, there's so much uncertainty. And so instead of saying what you might have learned in a training course to say, to move somebody out of that, that feeling of uncertainty and into a position where they can hear your offers, which really could solve their problem. If you were too high in empathy and low in assertiveness, you would say, you know what? I totally understand. Why don't we touch base in a few months? We'll see how things are mm -hmm. and we'll go from there. And you, you hang up the phone and you think, I am such a nice person and you feel good about that. The problem is you had a solution that could help them today and your assertiveness, your lack of assertiveness and your over that imbalance between empathy and assertiveness kept you from making an appropriate offer. So when I coach somebody, I'm not just looking at what, questions and what do you need to say or how do you need to conduct yourself in the sales process? I'm looking a layer beneath that to see what could sabotage you from using the skills that I teach you. So in that example, I would, if I knew you were wired that way, high empathy, low assertiveness, I would then coach you differently um, to be able to say, uh, you know, I really feel for you. It's been such a crazy time for all of us, would you be open to having a conversation about something that we actually can control, something that we actually could do to help you not feel the same level of uncertainty? Now, using a soundbite like that, it allows you to step into your strength of empathy because you're still demonstrating you empathize with your, your prospect, but you're also balancing that empathy with assertiveness so you can present an appropriate offer and at least give them an opportunity to hear it and choose for themselves. Yeah, no, and I think that's a very solid, great point there because I think there are a lot of people out there who probably are high up on the empathy, but their assertiveness may not be that high. So they care about people. So they're going through a tough time. Maybe the business took a hit or they lost their job because of COVID. And you may have a solution that can help them. So like you said, you may go to them and say, oh, man, I'm really sorry. Let's uh, let, let's talk in a few months. And like you say, you might feel good about yourself, but you miss an opportunity to someone help them solve their problem. You know, maybe give them something that can change their life. 
And you can also then on your end, you lose a, a potential client as well. So you lose, and exactly. there might be someone who's a little who has well, who may be high on empathy, but a higher on the assertiveness scale, and they're having the same conversation a week later. And guess what? That person says, you know what? You know, you are you open to having a conversation? See how we can help you. And they might have that conversation, and you may never hear from that person again. So I like the fact you go deep into that level because. Um, I, I think a lot of people are not aware they're, they have certain strengths. Have. They might be high on one level, low on another level, or they could be reversed and someone's high on assertive but low on empathy. They probably won't be too liked by people because they're too assertive but not empathetic enough. So I do I do like those things. So it's very powerful. So I definitely see how a lot of your students can get a lot of value out of being trained to react that way because, you know, the, the, because it, it, it's gonna, uh, uh, and I think, and I've seen this, I uh, want to think I've done this now with Mark, and I know that a lot of people are that, that are like that. They, they really care about people, they're empathetic, but yet they, they're low on the assertiveness scale. And a lot of times they don't take that action. And they know that people are hurting there. They've spoken to them and they procrastinate. They'll say, well, talk, talk in a few months. And yet these people, they can't help the people they truly want to help. So I think that's one way you can definitely help people. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask about since you brought up those levels is, you know, a lot of people, you know, because this this works in conjunction because there are a lot of different personalities, depending on which system you lose. You have you have the blues and the greens and the reds. <laughs> so I think that that so I'm sure you probably deal with those kind of people as well, because obviously a red, which is more controlling and, you know, wants the three bullet points. You even have to deal with them differently than than uh than the other ones like a blue likes you know have fun and the ones who like to have intimacy and and the ones the greens that just want to know every single thing before they get started so um so i guess you spend a lot of time with your students teaching the different personalities they're going to be dealing with because sometimes if you if you give the wrong information to the wrong personality you're going to lose them would you agree uh i yeah, what you're really um, talking about here is what I would call the behavioral mindset. Mm -hmm. So when I speak about mindset, um, you know, it's one of those things like we, I think we all understand intuitively that our beliefs shape what's possible for us, right? We've mm -hmm. all, you know, if you think it, if you think you can, you can and all of that. So when I talk about strengthening your mindset, I really look at mindset in three distinct categories. So one is your internal mind. That's what we say to ourselves. The second piece is our behavioral mind. That's what our actions say to other people. And then that third piece is the emotional mind, which is a little bit what we talked about. And that's how our impact or how our emotions impact us and everyone around us. So that second piece that I mentioned, the behavioral mindset, that's where our behavioral styles really um, also shape what's possible for us and help us either adjust our styles so that we can be better understood and um, to, to, and to have better relationships with people who are maybe a different style than, uh, than ours. And I, I'd say probably the, the most widely popular um, assessment tool in the marketplace has for years has been the DISC profile. And mm -hmm. I've used that in my business for many, many years. Um, and so, but basically all of these behavioral or personality styles are based on four different main categories, right? Mm -hmm. So you're either kind of like, you're more of a people person or you're more task oriented. You're, you either move faster or you're more deliberate and analytical, right? So there's, there's different ways that we behave out there in the world. And so we can either rub people the wrong way just because they don't have a similar behavioral style as we do, or we miss out on opportunities to really impact them um, and, in, and be influential, not in a manipulative way, but in a positive, good way. Um, but we minimize our opportunity to be influential with others when we don't understand our own behavioral style and how we need to adapt so that other people are more comfortable in a conversation with us so that their defense wall is down. And then we can have the straightforward conversation that we need to have to determine if we're a good match to do business together. And that's really the essence. It's not about you know trying to figure someone else out in order to manipulate them or be pushy or salesy or aggressive. It's really about better understanding our own wiring so that we can make the adjustments so that other people are comfortable interacting with us 
and telling us what's really going on so that we can provide the appropriate solutions and they can feel good about making a selection to work with us. Yeah, no, and I agree. I think we do need to understand our own wiring. I think a lot of people, and I think one thing that stops people because you just mentioned it is like, you don't have to be pushing aggressive to force sales on people. And a lot of times people people are can sense when you're doing it. I think you're gonna turn off a lot of people. And I think unfortunately, people have this image like salespeople, the only successful ones are the really pushy ones, the super go-getter. I mean, you gotta be a go-getter, but uh, but overdoing it is gonna hurt a lot of hurt a lot. Cause I I could say for most of the entrepreneurs I've seen over the years, the most successful ones are not the pushy ones. They're the ones that focus on learning what's the how they can help people focus on their needs and desires and figure out how they can help and then making a proposal to them. You know, would you like how would you like to proceed from it? So I'm glad you brought that up and you know and I'm glad you and I think a lot of people don't understand. So you brought up three different types of mindsets, the internal, which is your self-talk, the behavior, what your behavior says other people, and the emotional mindset. So uh, do you do you utilize all three of them or do you focus more on the emotional mindset? How much of the three do you use in your business when you're mentoring people? And which yeah, one do you question. focus on one the most? Um, yeah. Well, we do a, a really in-depth um, assessment intake with our new clients. And it gets into some very deep, deep detail about some of the beliefs that they have about money or decision makers or the level of accept, success that they are, you know, always imagined for themselves or, you know, so we get into a lot of detail about that. And we also do um, a behavioral style assessment. We do a, the most scientifically validated emotional intelligence assessment available in the marketplace is um, the tool that we used. It's through a company called Multi-Health Systems out of Toronto. And so before we do any formal training in skills or we help you create the right recipe of actions and behaviors to get you to your aggressive goals, we are looking under the hood. We are doing a very deep dive um, to really understand what your mindset is you know, the, the aspects of it that support you, the aspects of it that may be your blind spots. And so when we build a training program for an, uh, one of our clients, and, and this goes for, we also work with um, companies and we'll take on their entire sales team. So we'll work very closely with the sales director or manager, and then we'll work with the individual salespeople. And we bring that coaching training you know, piece of it so that the manager on site is just, you know, only needs to work on them with them on some of the more industry and company specific things. So we get to sort of outsource that for an entire team, but that allows us to really work individually and give customized training to each person because we're all wired a little bit differently. Yeah. And, and you talked earlier about, you know, some of those aggressive salespeople that rub you the wrong way. That again, I'll, I'll point right back to that empathy and assertiveness imbalance. And there's, by the way, there's 15 emotional intelligence attributes and there's a, a a plethora of different imbalances that we look at. We just happen to be focusing on the same one just a, a couple of different times in this conversation. But imagine if somebody was wired the opposite way that we've been talking about, and they were very high in assertiveness and very low in empathy. That's the salesperson that gets a really bad mm -hmm. rap. That's the one that it's all about me, my goals, my sales quotas. I don't care about, you know, what you, that that's the person they're just, you know, dialing for dollars, trying to be, you know, push their solutions, trying to be mm -hmm. everything to everyone without really listening. And, you know, that gets old real fast. And then those people generally get pretty burned out um, because they are rubbing people the wrong way. And, and so it's not like they should necessarily leave sales, but they just need to see that imbalance for what it is. It's not bad or wrong. It's just how it shows up. And there's definitely things that we could do to get that more in balance. And then yeah. we roll out the rest of it. So I don't think there's really a, you know, first we start an internal mind and then we go to behavioral mind and then we do mm -hmm. emotional mindset. It's really happening um, simultaneously. It's like you answer these questions and then we have a deliberate conversation about what they teach us the answers teach us 
And you get a chance to look at some of the beliefs that you may have had, they may have formed for you as a child, and Mm -hmm. you never really got a chance to look at them as an adult through the lens of experience and wisdom you have today and freely choose that. It's just been running in the background. So there was a time, in fact, when I, um, you know, ran myself through this process uh, as I was developing it years ago, I realized for the first time that I had a belief, this was, this was probably more than a decade ago, but I had a belief that $100,000 was a lot of money. And it was a lot of money when I formed that belief when I was in my early 20s and I was single and I didn't have a family mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it was a lot of money to me. But imagine if I didn't have an opportunity to look at that belief and say, you know what, that did serve me at that time. And it no longer serves me based on the lifestyle and the vision and the goals I have for my, my, live, my life now. I need to readjust that belief. And so you get a chance to freely choose the beliefs that are going to take you into that next level of learning and growth and, and opportunity and ex- experience when you get to, to look at them and see them for what they are, as opposed to just you know, deal with the hand-me-down beliefs that you might have gotten from somewhere that no longer serve you. Yeah, and and that's a good point you brought up there because some some of the beliefs you have, you had from when you were younger, at the time they might have served you, that was fine. But as you mature and get, you know, developed in life, those beliefs may not serve you. And like you said, when you were in your early 20s, the belief 100,000, a lot of money served you. But as you got older, as you got better at everything you did, you realized, man, that this belief is not serving more and it's limiting me and i think a lot of people are not aware of it so some of these beliefs they're not sometimes they are they've been detrimental since you were young but sometimes they were good at that time in your life but 10 or 15 years later they're not serving so 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 something you need to become aware of that so i'm sure when you like you said you mentioned the three uh mindset things the most emotional the behavioral and the eternal and i like the fact you mentioned that you you ask these guys a lot of questions because you can't, you're not going to know how to help. It's basically, you're, you're acting like a doctor. You're diagnosing it. But until yeah. they tell you what's going on, you can't help them. So a doctor can't help you unless you tell them what, you know, where your pain is. Then he can say, oh, I, you take this or take that. So you're diagnosing these people kind of like your patients. So that's why you need to ask these questions. I like the fact you mentioned listening because that mm-hmm. is so important when you're dealing with people, especially with sales. I, I could tell you when I got started, I... Uh, I did not do it. I was a little under the push because I just want to get to sale. I want to recruit people. Then I read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And that changed my life because I realized, man, I'm talking way too much. And, and I find when I'm dealing with people, and I'm sure this has been your experience, and I'm sure you teach people this. When I talk 80% of the time, I never get anyone to buy from me or join me anything. When I do 15 to 20% of the talking and they're doing 80% of the talking, and I'm doing all the listening, I'm learning from them, and they feel heard, everything changes. I, I, I close that's a lot right. more deals. It is, it is so huge. So I'm glad you brought up the listening part because I think that's something that sabotages a lot of people. You can't help them unless you're listening. And if they, and they, and they sense you're not listening to them, they're going to tune out. That's, that's been my experience. So no, I'm glad you mentioned that. And, um, and um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think, uh, so, you know, I, I think that's a... a a common thing that people know that they need to be better listeners. And so then the question is, well, do you study how to listen better or do you study how to ask better questions so that, and, and begin to understand that when somebody asks you a question, the thing that they're really interested in may not be the direct question that they asked. Um, So, oh, I mean, I could give you many, many different examples, but, um, you know, are you free on Friday for lunch? Doesn't necessarily mean, well, let's see, that may be not such a good example. That's, that's pretty specific. Trying to think of a really good one that would be universal. Like, um, how long have you been in business? Right. That seems like a innocent question. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not usually the real question. People don't mm-hmm. ask you because they want to know how long you've had your business. They want to know, is this your first surgery you're performing or have mm-hmm. you done this 10,000 times, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so 
to be a better listener, what it, we need to train ourselves to listen for what the real issue is. And the best way to do that is to train ourselves to ask questions that get to the real issue. We need to be better at noticing that the initial question people ask us isn't always the real thing. So sometimes that's where we get stuck. And, you know, there's a, that distinction between being a better listener and being a better uh, being better at asking good questions. So you want to make sure that you're listening for the real truth, not just answering that surface question that you get asked. And one of the populations, like I, obviously I've worked with sales professionals, all different levels, all different kinds of industries, management roles and everything, business owners, entrepreneurs. But I've also worked with a lot of professionals. And these are people who never in a million years would want to consider themselves a salesperson. They, they're attorneys, they're accountants, they're financial advisors, they're, they've got certifications. They're very, very good at what they do. They're experts. And because they're experts, they open their own business. Well, that means, or even if they don't have their own business, if you're um, wanting to get to partner level in a firm, as an example, that's a sales job, right? You have to go get clients mm -hmm. to move up that ladder. And and the part that they get stuck is people will ask them questions and then they just keep answering, they just answer the questions without really understanding that they need to find out why that person asked that question in the first place and then answer the real concern. And so professionals are really in a danger zone. And I, for some reason, have worked with a lot of engineers and people in manufacturing, um, although that is not my background at all. I don't have a technical bone in my body, <laughs> but I'm very good at helping technical people use their expertise to ask better questions. And I think that really helps them, you know, uh, be understood by others as and seen as the the solution provider with a lot of credibility no you're right and asking better questions makes all the difference in the world and uh and and and, and so i'm glad you're able to do it because i think sometimes people are asking the wrong questions and they're wondering why they're not getting anywhere so i think asking the proper question is so important and, and it made me think about you talk about the eternal mindset the self-talk and i think a problem i see with a lot of people and let me know yet you see this issue with a lot of your clients is it seems like the questions we ask ourselves does a lot of damage because we tend to ask a lot of negative disempowering questions and i think it seems like people need to change the type of questions they're also asking themselves because it's one way they sabotage themselves and limit themselves. Would you agree with that? I 100% agree with that. You see, our brains are wired to answer the questions that we ask them. So mm -hmm. if you ask yourself, how could I lose that sale? Your brain is going to come up with all the reasons why you lost that sale. But if you ask yourself, what can I learn from this so that I don't lose another sale in the same mm -hmm. way? And your brain is going to come up with all the reasons, all the things that you could learn to make sure that you don't lose a sale in the same way that you just did. So it's really um, an exercise in as soon as you notice your brain asking yourself a sabotaging question where you're going to get fed answers that are just going to perpetuate that same problem, you want to just flip that question and look for the good. Um, and I think one of the, th I, I, it's funny where I learned that was actually pretty un, an untraditional way. Um, I also perform and I study stand-up comedy. And in that world, you look at the, the kind of comedy that I do is I write about personal experiences. So in that world, it really requires that I'm observing from many different angles something that happened. So let's say, let's say I got stood up for a date as an example, which doesn't happen often, but let's just say it did. <laughs> then, you know, I could ask myself, gosh, what am I doing wrong that I got stood up? Well, that's a terrible question to ask. Mm -hmm. It's probably not me, but, or maybe, I don't know, but um, a better question is, you know, I wonder what was going on with that guy that he couldn't show up when he said he would. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then I can come up with and if I look at it through a comedy lens, I'm like, well, you know, I can come up with the funny reasons why that happened. And then it doesn't 
frustrate me. It just gives me another opportunity to laugh at something. So, you know, I, I think it's all about how we, it's your worldview. And if your worldview is there's something wrong here, then you're going to find all the rationale you need to support that worldview. If my worldview is there's something hilarious here and there's something I can always learn from so that I can grow and be better next time, then I'm going to ask myself questions that are going to support that worldview. And I think that's a very great point there. We got to do a paradigm shift or change in your worldview because it's going to change your life. So change your focus because whatever you focus on expands. So and I like the fact if you get stood up, you're going to look at one way, oh, why does it always happen to me? Or you could do it the way you just uh, uh, said it. And it just totally changes the way you look at things. So I think that's very important. And you you mentioned before about these people or partners and firms. And I think some people, and I'm sure you come across this all the time, they say, wow, I'm not really a salesperson. I don't know how to do sales. And it's, but a lot of times we don't realize we've been doing sales all our life. When we were kids, we're telling our parents, I want this, I want that. You sold them on saying yes, you buying you that, buying you that. You know, you, you hang out with friends. You say, let's go see this movie. You sold them on seeing that movie. Guy asked that- the woman to marry him. He's selling on the fact it's a good idea to get married. So you've been selling all your life. A lot of times you're just not aware of that. So I'm sure you probably deal with you, a lot of your clients probably say, I ain't I'm married. I, I'm not a salesperson, but I'm sure after a few minutes, you're able to convince them. Yes, you are. And I'm sure that probably helps with their confidence, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because uh, the name of my business is Select Sales, but we spell it S-E-L-L-E-C-T. So, you know, sell is in the name. Um, and But yet what we tell people is stop selling, start getting selected. So it's a little bit of a play on words, but you want to use sales in to help people select you. You want to use sales strategies to help people select you, not to be salesy and pushy and aggressive. And you're absolutely right. We've been, you know, we're all in sales. If you want to convince your friend or your partner to go to a particular restaurant or a movie, you've got to sell it, right? You, for all the examples that you gave, We're selling things all the time. We just don't want to call it that. And the reason is we don't want to be seen as out for ourselves and in it for just us and manipulating and all of that. But but I think it's really about being more influential with other people. What we really want is we want to influence. And uh, sometimes when we are influential in in a way, you know, when it's when when it's good for everybody our influence is a positive thing, right? If, if I have something and it's really not a good fit for you, but my influential powers are highly you know, honed, then what's probably going to happen is I may convince you in the very moment, but then afterwards you're going to realize you were convinced and manipulated and you're going to call me at three in the morning and you're going to cancel the deal or whatever. And then because you have had Mm -hmm. buyer's remorse, but if you freely select to make that decision to work with me, then it it wasn't because I pushed you into something. It's a choice that you get to feel good about. And that's, you know, first of all, that's using your powers for good and not for evil. Mm -hmm. Um, But also it's, it's authentic. And I think that's, you know, if I'm really honest, when I first taught sales skills, just the bare bones mechanics of selling early in my career. Uh, I, I taught a lot of techniques that could have been used, you know, in manipulative ways. I, and maybe I just didn't know better. I really didn't understand the nuances that I do today, but, but I also think the marketplace has changed a great deal and people not, you know, they can smell that a mile away. Those same strategies. Like, remember we used to say things like, um, is Tuesday or Thursday better for you? I'm going to be in your area. You know, you can't say that now. Like that's like, seriously, really the alternative event close. Like we, we know the names of them. They're pushed. They just sound slimy. And so now we just need to be authentic, which would be more like, are you open to having a conversation to see if we might be a match to work together? Okay, that's that's real. 
I agree. Authentic is the best way to do it. And I like the fact you mentioned fact, like if they feel pressured, they feel they had to be convinced. So a lot, like you said, a lot of times they're going to have buyer's remorse and, you know, a man convinced against as well as of the same opinion still. And they're going to be angry at you. And they're very likely. And here's the thing. Angry people tend to tell everyone a hell of a lot more than happy people. So everyone's, you know, people who are happy with you may tell some people, but people who are angry too are going to tell everyone. So it could definitely hurt your business as well. So it's much better to make them want your service, want your products, whatever you're selling them. It's to, it's to make them make to see the need and just ask them questions and, you know, make them sell themselves here. Like, so like you. So I think that's a great way of approaching it and 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 seems like to me and in many industries the people that are more successful are the ones that make the customer the client the prosecutor realize man i want what you're offering so make them like you said yeah. select you it's just saying oh man you need to join me or you said using those manipulative questions like like you said those things might have worked 20 years ago but i think people have uh wise up because you know why because a lot of people are using those same questions. So they said, this is the sixth time I've heard it this month. So I know we're just, I know we're just going next. So now I'm glad you brought that up. So oh, you want to say something? Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to like, just tweak that language just a little bit because I really don't want to make them do anything. I want to right, make right. them, I want, I want to invite them. I want them to yes. invite them to be open to considering my offer. And mm -hmm. I think this is one of the things um, I don't remember exactly that that moment that it clicked for me, but many many years ago, I I really settled on, uh, you know, first of all, you you can't make somebody do anything, right? But but you can invite them to have an opportunity, yeah. and and the idea here is that um, my job as a sales professional is not it is really just to present opportunities and offers. Yes. It's really up to you to select to take advantage of them or not. And so once I made that shift, there was a lot less of that fear of rejection happening because it wasn't about me anymore. It wasn't about it wasn't about even my offers. It was just you know, I'm I'm just supposed to make sure you know this is available. And once you know it's available, it's up to you. Um, but, you know, it eliminated a lot of that, um, that uh, call reluctance piece of it because I would, you could win if more people knew you had this offer available, that was mission accomplished, right? It, you know, it's partly a, a numbers game, but it's being strategic and deliberate about it. But but I think shifting my my client when I work with clients, I I help them discover for themselves what their current mindset is around that particular belief. And then usually we shift it somewhere towards my job is really just to present appropriate offers. That's it. And yeah. then they get to feel good about that. No, and that's a very good point. You're just your job just to educate them about what you have. And it's up to them to make the choice, collect the decision. They say yes or no, and that's it. You move on from there. And I think you said too many people are focused on the fear of getting a, a no answer, getting rejected. But you change the focus. I've done my job. I've shown, I've educated them. I've, I've, I've presented some. I invited them. I've shown them what it is. Now it's up to them. So I, I think a lot of people, and I think, should focus more on the process than the outcome. When you focus on the outcome, you're going to get fearful and you're going to tend to mess up more because you're going to, you're going to get nervous. And you're going to do things and you're, you're more likely to mess up talking to the client. Whereas if you just focus on, I'm going to educate this person. I'm going to offer them tell them what's good. And you know, I'm going to tell them, you know, what this is all about. And then it's up to them to make the decision. If it's yes, great. If not, you know, we're still friends and then I'll talk to the next yeah. one. So yeah, it's partially a numbers game, but I think it's going to be a focus as too much on the outcome. Whereas if you focus on the process, just, my job is just to show what this is all about. And then it's up to them. They make the final decision. And because you have no control over their decision, it's up to them. And when you realize that, I think you said, like I think you were saying before, it frees you because you don't have to worry about it. Your job is just to present and to educate them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like it's, 
you know, the first thing I have to do is get them to be open to considering my offer to even having mm -hmm. to, to dis discovering together if we're a match. And then my job is to ask them good questions so that they figure out for themselves that they need what I've got even more than they thought. And then the final piece is, you know, my job is to invite them to take action. And that's really it. Be open, ask questions, invite them to take action. That's the sales process. There's lots of different pieces of the puzzles along the way, but essentially that's really what it is. And I think that um, more, more opportunities are lost because we start asking questions to determine that match before we set the context to make sure that somebody is really open to hearing an alternative solution. And so the question I always start with, and I've done entire hour long keynotes just about this one question, which is, have you already decided it can't get any better or are you open to a new possibility? And that's a, it's a genius question. It's a question we wanna ask ourselves because if we've already decided things are about as good as they're gonna get, it really doesn't matter what skills you have. It doesn't matter what your beliefs are. It doesn't matter what your game plan is you've decided this is about it. And so nothing different is going to happen for you. But so that the first person you want to ask is yourself. The second person you want to ask is the person that you're wanting to do business with. Because if they've already decided they're going to live with the problem that they've got, it doesn't matter how amazing your solution is. They're not open to hearing it. They won't receive it. And so I think more than anything, the game-changing move that I've stumbled upon <laughs> over the years is before you start the sales process, create the environment where they acknowledge they're open to hearing an alternative solution that could create a new and better possibility. Yeah. I thought what you just said was very golden. It made me think of something else I heard years ago because so many people focus on trying to make the sale and they say, you got to first find out if there's a sale to be made. And if the person's not open, there's no sale to be made. So I love you You ask, you know, have you decided that things can't get any better? Or are you open to new possibilities? So if they say things can get, can't get any better, you're just wasting your time. But if but if they say, yes, I am open. And uh, by the way, uh, for those that are watching the video, you have a pill in the back that says, are you open to? So I love that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you got to ask if they're open. You got to find out first, are you open to learning more? And if they are, they are, then you can continue. If they're not, you're wasting their time, you're wasting your time, and you can go talk to someone else. So I agree. That's a that's a very powerful point. And I'm hoping those that are listening to this broadcast uh, can learn from that. Find out first if they're open. You know, if they see if they're closed. If they're closed, then uh, you, you don't, don't waste your time with them. And you're probably just upset them. you just try to give a long presentation because they're not going to be listening to it anyway. So that's some really good stuff here. So anyway, we're coming here toward the end of our interview. It's been great so far. So before we go, a couple of things. Number one, are there any other last minute uh, pieces of advice you want to give to people who are, you know, saying, you know, I, I, I'm not really a good salesman. I want to get better. You know, what should they focus on to, in becoming a better salesperson? What, 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 what things would you recommend for them? Yeah. Uh, well, we've put this all together into a framework. So we call it the open for business framework. And it's made up of those three components, mindset, mechanics, motion. We really didn't talk much about motion, but that's really all the actions and behaviors you do to get to your mm -hmm. results. And so um, what I would recommend, and I'm happy to uh, make this available to your audience, is we have a, a just a little brief white paper that takes you through what are all of those elements. Um, and, and as you read it, what people have shared with us is that as they read that document, it really helped them see, you know, one of them sort of just popped off the page to them. And I can't explain that. There's nothing scientific about that. But as you're reading the descriptions and some of the examples, you start to notice like, mm, this one is my area of strength. And this is the one that I think would make the biggest difference if I put a little deliberate focus on it. And what that does is it allows you to take, you know, from all the, the massive sea of information that's available in the marketplace on how to improve in sales or overall success or in whatever is important to you, 
when you could narrow it down to just one of those categories, mindset, mechanics, motion, you really need to be on top of your game in all three of those to have the kinds of business success and, and the, the flow and ease that you really want. Cause we can all work hard, you know, to, to make something happen with, if we're strong in one area or two areas, but when it all comes together, that's when you hit that flow. And it feels like it, it looks to everybody else around you, like it's effortless and you know, you're paddling like a duck under the water, but, um, when you can really identify, okay, this is the area that I want to make a deliberate improvement in, it it takes that vast universe of things that you could do to improve and it narrows it down to something that's manageable. And so it's going to be a little bit different for everybody, but I like, I'm happy, you know, I, I feel like that document has been a great starting point for people. Um, and then whichever aspect of that makes sense for you to you know, do put some focus into whether it's our uh, company or or another coach or advisor or training program or podcast or expert. You know, go and find that resource that is really going to be the right match for you. I know I like that mindset, mechanics, motion, three M. So yeah. that's very powerful. Good stuff. Well, listen, Merit, this, it's been wonderful having you on and really enjoyed having you on. I learned so much, a lot of great stuff. I enjoyed all the wisdom you shared. And I know our audience also shared. So it was a real pleasure having you on. Before I let you go now, oh, I, was say one thing? Say, I was just going to say, I didn't tell them where to go get that. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, that's, uh, that's my question. Okay. So people okay. want to <laughs> contact you. How, what is the best way for them to reach out to you if they want to get that document or learn more about you? What is the best way for them to contact you, Merit? So the best way to get that document is to go to meritcon.com slash podcast. And so that is M-E-R-I-T-K-A-H-N.com slash podcast. And that will, there'll be a form on there. Just pop your contact information in there. We don't spam you or anything weird like that. Um, but that'll give you instant access, instant access to that PDF um, you can feel free to email me merit at meritcon.com. And then our sales training business is select sales. So it's S E L L E C T S A L E S.com. And you can also, um, get that, uh, white paper and that site as well, or you can book a, a time to get it on my calendar and we can have a conversation about what's going on in your world and see if we can help. All right, that sounds great. Well, thanks again for being on, Merit. I love all the wisdom you shared with us. It was a pleasure having you on, and I hope you have an amazing day. Thanks, Victor. Appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.